Only the Lonely Scottish Cup Special. We look forward to the Deck of Cards Derby as the Diamonds take on Harps at Tynecastle on Saturday. Diamonds is our strongest suit, and so we lead off with regular panels Alan Porteous and Brian Smith to consider whether Airdrie can bridge the gap between League One and the Premiership. And then I get the view from a jambo as Joel Sked of the Scotsman and BBC Scotland's A View from the Terrace puts his cards on the table about the present state of affairs down Gorgieway and whether hearts have enough to come up trumps on Saturday. The headline act is someone we all think is ace. Jimmy Sanderson gives us nostalgia in spades as he looks back on his time at Airdrie before looking forward to seeing his former clubs battle it out for a high stake of a place in the next round of the Cup. Right, we've got Cup Fever here on the OTL podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Alan Porteous and Brian Smith. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are you doing? Good, good. We spoke almost exactly a year ago. Uh, at that time, it was just before the Celtic game. Felt like a blast from the past. We're going to one of the biggest grounds in Scotland. Uh, we've not been there for years, facing an old foe. Similar this year round, although you can stick in Hearts instead of Celtic, and we're going to Tynecastle rather than Parkhead. First up then, so Hearts and Tynecastle, what are your memories of the great Edinburgh club uh, and that venue? Memories probably of getting chased into little shops on Gordon Road. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, aye. Um, although, usually after a good result, I just I just think we had that golden period that it didn't really matter what we did. We, we would always beat Hearts. And, and I kind of laughed when I heard the draw come out that you, you could almost have heard the groans you know, emanating out of Gorgie Road when that when that draw came out. L- little do they little do they know we're not quite as as as, as on on our ball and, and as we used to be. But but yes, I mean I think my it's one one of my earliest memories actually is probably and Brian you'll maybe remember this as well. Remember going to Tynecastle to to try and win the first division championship. Oh heartbroken. On a Wednesday night and losing yep. One nothing to a Frank Liddell header or something like that. Was that right? Would that be right? Or well, that's correct. I've actually, yeah, I did, uh, I did actually look that up just today. Uh, funny enough, because it, it absolutely broke my heart. And Frank Liddell right. scored in the eighty seventh minute. And yeah. I remember sitting on the terrace and with my head in my hands, uh, thinking that the world was going to come to an end. So yeah, no, not a, not a pleasant memory. I have to I say. I was up in that big dark stand, and I can remember. I don't even know what age I was. I can remember. I was crying. There's an admission. I was I was crying because they were all up on their feet singing H E A R T S stuff, and I was absolutely gutted by the whole thing. Um, it was the uh, 30th of April, uh, 1980. Frank Liddell scored in 87 minutes. Not I've written this down, of course. And there was 13,200. 13,299. I've turned into a statistician. How impressive is that? Oh, that is quite impressive. So that would be my earliest memory. Um, but I can remember, what else would I think of? Um, the famous Willie McCulloch game in the Premier League. I was on a Sunday school trip that day. Oh. <laughs> it was New Year's Day. I was hungover. Oh, oh, oh wasn't it that one day? It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that one. It was a very cold Sunday school it was trip. A very, it was a very cold one, I remember that. I actually uh, yeah. had a very, very entertaining evening. Got home about seven in the morning. Big Jordy Allen from Airdrie Academy took me to the game, and uh, we were two 0 down. And I've got this mega hangover, thinking, "What am I doing here?" And then on comes Wally and changes the game. We went three two. One of the best memories as an Airdrie fan, probably ever. Excellent. So, Excellent. Very pleasant. 
sorry, I, I saw us beat them 3-1. Was it 3-1? When um, we were in the Premier League and I think Nipper maybe scored a couple of goals. Was it 3-1? It, it was a very easy game anyway. I don't... Um, I think I, 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 no, I don't recall that one. I must admit. I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I should have prepared this, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're probably right. I just, uh, I, I think after about a thousand games, sometimes one or two sort of merge into the other. And yeah. and I, 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 I was so determined to tell you all about my my first Scottish Cup memory, which was probably before you two were born. So go on then. When was it? A. Again, looking it up today through the Hearts uh, history pages, the 7th of February 1973, under uh, a crowd of 5,800, a 3-1 third-round replay victory where Busby Wilson and John Menzies scored, or Mingus if you want to be Scottish, Oops. with Donald Ford replying for them. Uh, and I remember them having... And this is 1973, so, you know, these days you didn't really have fancy strips. And Hearts from memory had a strip that had, like, down right down the middle, um, the maroon, and then either side white or the other way round. But I think it was that way round. And I thought it was the fanciest strip I'd ever seen, that in the Crystal Palace one at that time, because everybody else, apart from ourselves, obviously, had fairly boring strips, you know. So, uh, And it was on the TV, but not live, so... You know, I, I was nine years old at the time, and it was actually very exciting because I, I don't think I'd ever seen Airdrie on the television, even in you know, even in highlights, because I wasn't allowed to stay up that late on a Saturday <laughs> night. Although this was, I think, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So, yeah, it was. Uh, it was that, that's that's my earliest Hearts Airdrie game. I must admit. I would say that Dean Castle is probably my favourite away ground in Scotland, um, for for the sake of. Just what it's like, and, I, and it'll be it'll be interesting now. I'm almost a wee bit sad that the, that old big stand's gone. Um, I, I kind of quite like, I kind of quite like that. And with the new one, is it maybe just going to be a, just that little bit more sterile? But there was always a good atmosphere, even for Scotland games. I always thought it was a better place to go and see football and uh, go and see Scotland than, than going to Hamden. I definitely always preferred. Going to Hearts than going to Rangers and Celtic. So I, th- I think that's I th- yeah. I, I, funny enough, I, I I think you might be right to be honest. Because my sort of memories at Tyne Castle have always been feeling that bit intimidated, and, and I think that if the ground has become a bit more sterile, then they've they've lost an extra man. Because sometimes uh-huh. I did actually think that that came onto the you know that that definitely came into play at times so you know I'm a bit like you I don't think I ever got chased down the street but I I remember running onto a supporters bus once terrified at my life so you know I I, I do think that the the, the fans at at Hearts have always played a part you know not not always in a nasty way but certainly with a passion you know when we've been doing this podcast for the the few years that we have it's kind of led me to look at historical periods so before I started watching Airdrie so I've never seen Hearts beat Airdrie might be about to change but I grew up with Alec McDonald here and with that good run I've not really played them much since but then when I look back at the 70s and 80s and Hearts now seen as the third force in Scottish football were a bit of a yo-yo club like us so it's, it's quite amazing the difference that obviously we're, we've been in the doldrums for a number of years but I mean they weren't what they are now it was kind of they would drop between First Division and Premier League, uh, and quite often with Airdrie. Yeah, that's my memory. I, I must admit, I, I do. There was one year where they got relegated, and then the next year ran riot. And, and I remember one game at Broomfield, we were four 0 down at half time, and and you know I think Willie Gibson, you know people like that were playing for them. They, they were a, 
I did, you know, like that season they were a decent side, and then I've got other memories where they would be terrible, you know. So, I, I, you know, history sometimes can sort of mislead, but I think that's a fairly accurate assessment, Colin, if I'm honest. So, I mean, we are where we are. They are a much bigger club than us. But when we spoke last year about going to Celtic, it almost seemed fanciful that we could do anything. Uh, we are much stronger than last year, I would say. I mean, the result didn't go quite the way today and we're not joint top of the league, but we're not far off it. They are really having a terrible time. I mean, I'm going to speak to uh, Joe Sked and he can go into great detail on their woes. But, I mean, are we going along on Saturday with a bit of expectation as as well as a lot of hope, much more so than we were last year? Alan, <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean I think you've got to feel that way. You know, you, you can't you, you can't go to a team like Hearts. You know that that, that is having the, the, the problems that are having without without a wee bit of optimism. You know, I would I would I would in many ways I think I would far rather be going to Hearts just now than going to uh, Livingston or even Hamilton Ackies or something like that because you know by up to all accounts. Um, morale is pretty low. The manager, I'm, I'm not convinced about that appointment, and, and it may well be that they'll be they'll be looking for somebody else again in another few months. He's he's kicked a couple of guys out that were probably, you know, reasonably you know stalwarts of the club. All is not well, and we are doing a lot better. So you know, it, it stands to reason that you, you feel we've got some kind of chance, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think maybe you know we'll, we'll, we'll maybe talk a wee bit later about about our own. Failings, but uh, and, and and maybe we are, you know, we've got limitations in our team that might not be good enough to to go and win in a Premier League ground. But there's there's, cer- there's certainly a little chink in the armour. You have to say, isn't there? I think, yeah, I agree. I, I actually think that we do go with a bit a bit of hope, and my only hope will be that we don't give them too much respect and let them go on the front foot early doors because yeah. I think if they do then you know I'm I'm not sure that we're capable of keeping them out and if they go one up then I think it'll be difficult to pull it back you know I, I, I would hope that we would go with uh, a, a positive attitude and actually try and go at them early and, and you know not naively go at them early but at least sort of have some possession of the ball which will allow us to kind of settle down a bit because I do actually happen to think if we score first we're in with a great chance because their confidence is very very low I agree with Alan about the manager I, I didn't particularly think he was a good choice for them I still don't think he's a good choice for them it, there's nothing to suggest that they're going to be any better than they, they've been before Christmas. So why not just go and and it's a free hit, let's go and have a go. Yeah, I mean, at the time of recording, which is a week before the game, it's Saturday night, they haven't signed anyone in this transfer window. There's all the hoo-ha with Christoph Berra and, and Glenn Whelan, which to much lesser extent because he's done hardly anything for them in his time there. Uh, they will be playing, what, a, a new personnel, maybe in a new formation, Two weeks without a without a game. I mean, yes. Don't get me wrong. Look at Leon McCann. Hamanakis have taken the decision that he's not good enough for the Premier League. Uh, he looks absolutely class in our, our league. So it's going to be a massive step up. Just using that as an example. But um, I, I feel like compared to going to Celtic Park last year, there's there's at least a chance. I think I think we've been at our best in the last couple of months when we've just worked our socks off and we've. 
you know, we've harried opponents and we've moved the ball up the park quite quickly. And I, I think if we do that again, you know, we've we, we every chance of, you know, you, you score a, the first goal and, uh, you know, the crowd will be against them and with confidence low, you know, pretty much anything could happen. They could, they could combust. They could roll their sleeves up and make things harder for us. I, 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 I'm very confident of getting at least a point, you know, out, out of the thing. I'm not going to be... In a cup game, Alan? In a, in a, in a cup, oh, in a cup, yes. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm confident of us of, of bringing them back to Chelsea, certainly. Um, I'm, I'm pretty realistic about it as well, though I think we'd have to play particularly well to, uh, to uh, you know, to score and, uh, and, 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 and win the game outright, simply because I just think we have this this kind of fatalism within us that, that kind of raised its ugly head again today that, you know, they have that tendency to, 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 to get into the lead in games that they feel are important and then kind of hang back and, and see what happens. And I think, you know, East Fife managed to score a goal against us today and, and I just feel that despite the fact Hearts have got a lot of trouble, they're a Premier League team and if you give, as Brian is saying, I think if you, if you give them the midfield and let them run at us, then we'll struggle. No, I think, yeah, I, I think teams recently, I, and from memory, I think today, to a degree, uh, and the Falkirk game particularly, you know, the beginning to get the ball right up under, underneath, you know, David Hutton, and, and putting us under real pressure, particularly on corner kicks and and to another, you know, to a certain degree, free kicks. I think I think we need to be really careful about what we're conceding and, and how we're conceding it and how we defend it because we do seem a little bit light at times uh, and sometimes with the big guys, you know, I'm thinking Ikpiezu particularly, you know, if he's playing then then he's a handful, you know, and, and at times, you know, we we can we do seem to get a bit lost, you know, when, when corners are coming in, you know, and, and I think we're defending valiantly but, you know, we're really depending on Four dice and 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 Crichton to win these headers, and if they don't win them, we don't really seem to have anybody else that that is capable of, you know, of of really competing in the air, and and that that worries me a bit, you know. So I'll, teams tend recently to try and bully us, and and I think we sometimes look a bit weak. I'm actually, you know, I remember last season, you know, saying, oh, we've got one or two good players, and whatever, and and. And actually, this this year's team is much better than last year's team, and there's much more of a unit. They work, as as Alan said, I think they're at their best when they work their socks off, and I think we create numerous chances, which is which is great. And in general, this season, I've been, I've been very happy the way things have gone. I just think that that the key thing for us for the whole season, not just this game, is to keep working hard because and keep closing players down and getting the ball forward and putting it in the Gallica's feet and, and letting us play off him or, or in the case it may well be Andy Ryan depending on how he does it I I just feel that that's, that's every at their best and if we do that then I think we've got a cracking chance The first team lineup has been very settled uh, for for the kind of run that we've been through and, and, and since even when we've faltered a bit Andy Ryan's come in but he's cup tied I mean do you expect or would you like to see any changes ahead of Saturday's game, Alan. Do you think we should change it? Yes, I do. <laughs> well, and I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit of a. Uh, I've been drawn about this for a while. I would suggest that, and it may not be the most popular thing, something amongst the Airdrie fans, but I would play in that Weatherburn instead of 
Paul Mackay every day of the week. I just don't think we get enough from Mackay. Uh, we, we do have a holding midfielder in Miller, and we just don't have anybody that can pass a ball. We, it's, our, our ball retention is shocking, and I think the, game, the last 20 minutes last week kind of showed when if, if, if Weather burns on his game, that he's a better option than, than a guy that's that's a bit of a luxury, to be honest. He's not a good passer of the ball. He's not a wonderful tackler. And I've, I've noticed of late that he's a t- he's not got a lot of intensity either. I don't feel he's tracking back enough uh, to, 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 to meet guys. If he's there to be def- a deep defensive guy, then, you know, having a long having a long throw is, is not really enough. So that, that, that would be a massive one for me. Um, because it kind of changes the dynamic of the team a little bit um, and, and maybe makes us a wee bit creative. Yes, I know Wedderburn's not the fastest in the world and I also fear sometimes that if he's, in the, if he's on the park, that if you, if you pressure him, if, you know, if other teams get in his face very quickly, then he's not, he, he can't do anything particularly quickly. But then that probably applies to everybody in our league. You know, if you... If, if Miller's on the ball or Mackay's on the ball and he gets and he gets get pushed a wee bit, then they'll they'll, they'll make mistakes. But uh, that would be that would be my main one. I think the rest of it kind of looks after itself. Everyone else has been working hard and and and, and has a role to play. But that that would be a, a big difference for me. I agree. Actually, uh, I think we lack a bit of composure in the midfield area. And I think that last week's game showed that Wedderburn, who has looked to me overweight and unfit, actually looked a lot sharper. And I know it was only a 20-minute burst, but he also showed that he can play the game and has got a bit of composure and has got a lovely left foot. And I agree with the comments about Paul Mackay. I think that we have... Uh, we have better options and I would play Big Nat as well and apart from that I would go with the, the same again apart from everybody, apart from that one change Adam Eckers leads an ex-Hearts player what should he be feeling at the moment so Leon McCann has been excellent as we've said and I don't think you can have any complaints about him starting I'm delighted with his uh, with his performances I have heard it said that could you move him forward into more of the, the midfield position and have Eckersley sitting in behind him and if you're going to a Premier team, that might be a bit more solid, but it does feel like an experiment on, on quite a big stage. Uh, just Eckersley in the first few games looked quite classy. Uh, he now seems to be quite far from getting a start. It's a difficult one because, I, I, you know, I, I have thought a, a few times, and I've mentioned it when I've been at the games, about how you must be feeling, you know, and I think I think Hearts will actually target Leon McCann next week because you know his lack of stature. You know, I, I think he's he's brilliant. I, I've described him as the next Kieran Tierney. I don't know how many times and got a like off his mum on Facebook. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I do I do think that that the the young boy's got a real future. I I do worry a wee bit about next week, about you know how how. He will undoubtedly be put under pressure, particularly in the air. Uh, and it may well be that we might actually see Eckersley at some point next week. But, you know, I, I do think this isn't the game to be doing or making any dramatic changes. So, you know, I would go as is, see how it goes. And then if that change had to be made, then then that would be something, if I was Ian Murray, that I would, I would be having in my mind because... I do think it, it might be important that we get a bit of experience on the park at, at some point in time. 
long term for Adam Eckersley is a difficult one because if unless he moves Leon McCann somewhere, he's not getting a game anytime soon, as far as I can see. And to be honest, I would leave Leon McCann where he is because I think he's outstanding. Uh, it's just it's just a shame that we've got two good fullbacks in the same position. It feels a bit like Scotland, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, as a bit. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and 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 that, and I, I agree. I think that I, I thought that the, the the idea of having McCann sitting in front of Eckersley, maybe in a four-four-two situation, might might kind of solidify the midfield a little bit more when we when we sometimes lose that part of the park and, and, it, and it just gets Eckersley on the park because kind of like you Brian I thought he was one of our top three signings you know he should be he yeah, should definitely. be he, he, he's, he's not not good enough to play for Airdrie you know what I mean yeah I mentioned that today at the game funny enough I, I was watching them at half time and, and saying how do you go from being at Manchester United what 10, 12 years ago to being a sub for Airdrieonians and not getting a game? He's, he's too good for that, you know. Well, it, was and, and, it was worse than that. Did you not notice at one point he was in the car park? Aye, to, I did notice he kicked the ball over the wall. <laughs> <laughs> there was in fact there was two there was two Airdrie substitutes out in the car park. Tried to yeah, find Craig Thompson them. whacked one over the wall as well. So I, was, right I, thought, I thought they were going to try and like grand theft auto one of the cars outside <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was looking a bit bizarre certainly yeah but you know the good thing is that you know that these conversations in terms of of you know what, what we're about and where you know what we're doing in, in terms of the actual club and and the player potential and what we can do with them these are conversations we haven't had for a number of years you know the, the squad i think the squad's maybe one short for me i would still be looking to sign a midfield player but in general, we should be good enough to get at least into the playoffs. But we need to keep that work ethic going, and 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 we need to keep on the front foot. And and if as long as we do that, it's actually still a quite, you know, in, in relative terms, for in the last what ten years, this is as good as we've had it for quite some time, you know. So, and it's good we've got options. And then look at the the players that have been signed up for next season as well. So it does, it definitely feels. Much more professional, much more like succession planning that they're actually thinking about next year's team rather than remember Livy came in and pinched Lithgow, uh, Crichton, yep. Watt, Cadden all at the one time, uh, and and a few years earlier, Aired came in and pinched Paddy Boyle and Ross Doherty. So that's not going to happen next season because they've signed up everybody they can. No, hats off to to me. Hats off to Stuart Miller and 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 Andy Murray. Uh, I think that you know we have got, you know, we're, we seem to be doing things the way a professional football team should be doing things, and it's refreshing. And I would take my hat off to them. Yeah, I know, it's quite interesting when Stuart came to speak to us about all the sports science stuff that goes on, so although, well, there seem to be reasons why Roberts wasn't getting a start early in the season, which he was quite candid about, uh, and, and I dare say that Mackay against Wedderburn, uh, they will be looking at fitness test results and things to, to make that decision. So Mackay's obviously impressed him and his work ethic and his fitness levels, and, and that's why he's ended up in the team and they've gone on a good run. So uh, Yeah, and it'd be fair to him, Colin. I think, you know, like, like this is the, I think this is the longest run he's ever had with any team that he's ever played for. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and in many ways, what, what I wouldn't say, you know, much as I said, I would leave him out and put Weatherburn in is that he's not making a contribution. He just doesn't look that natural to me at times. And I, I always think, if I'm really honest, he's, 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 he's a free kicker apparently away 
every you know, and in, in the air, he always raises his hands and pushes the players back. So at some point, some referee is going to punish him, and and that that that's a bit schoolboys for me. You know, I, I would hope that in time that he would he would cut that kind of naivety out of his game. You know, but. At the moment, I think the team would be better with Big Nat rather than rather than Paul McKay. I see Paul McKay as a centre half. I don't actually see him as a midfielder in any case. Mm, I think that's a fair point as well. I think some some players like the ball coming onto them, and and I think sometimes it goes into some strange, unnatural positions when the ball comes to him. You know, if it bounces up, I, I, I sometimes think that speed of thought. I always used to think that about Scott Stewart as well. Funny enough. That your speed of thought sometimes, if you're playing in that position, and you know you've you've got to sort of be a little bit sharper in you know and uh, your the way that you approach things and, and mind etc. And and yeah, he does remind me of that, so I can see that point of view. I must well, admit. Uh, but I sometimes wonder if there's maybe that there's a almost a juxtaposition in, in his own stature because I look at him as being quite an athletic lad. Yeah, and he should be, and almost in my mind, he should be very mobile and box to box. And and, and yeah. as you say, sometimes he does look a little bit unnatural. And I'm thinking, you should be more athletic than that. What's what's going on there? Yeah, I think you know, in, in the position he's in, I would have, I would have thought for me, his role would be to break down the play and give it to someone else. If I would put it that way, to, to allow us to create like Roberts or you know, whoever, whoever else has played in front of him. And I think that, you know, at the moment, I just feel that, like you, I think, we're, we're just not getting enough, enough out of him, you know. But I, I, I wouldn't say that, that he's, he's not made a contribution, because he certainly has. And the long throws, actually, in many ways, have won us a few points here and there, although they are getting a bit predictable. Uh, and Tank Castle's a tight pitch, so I do wonder whether that will be the deciding factor for, for mm. this game, certainly, that... Uh, how many chances we're actually going to get if it's if it's a social? Although he's not throwing it in the MD that's that at all, so it might be a difficult one to make work. I think you know the the uh, and, and saying all that, I think we should all go and 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 the last time at the Celtic game last year, I went with a dread, and the dread was we were going to get annihilated, and then. You know, when we came out with three 0 I actually came out of it fairly proud that we had actually done a job of keeping the score down. This time, I think we definitely can go with a bit more hope, and there is that chance that we could actually get the result, whether it's a draw and take them back, or whether it's you know by some way a, a victory. I think this time, you know, I'll wake up on Saturday morning and actually have enthusiasm and I think if we go and, and give them every support that we can and do our bit then I think the guys if they work hard could do their bit I'm just I'm just hoping that we're we're sitting there uh, that you sitting here tonight and, uh, and 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 over the week that they're, they're, they're plotting the demise of Harps and not just uh, you know how do we hang how on stop them yeah and, and, and stop everything because you know I, I think if we if we're just a bit smarter, maybe in, in the way we're going about our business moving forward, we can be a bit, you know, we can cause problems. I mean, the one thing that I've been noticing over the last month or so probably is there's a terribly, there's terribly poor decision making going on when we've got the ball in, in, in attacking areas. The number of times guys are taking 35-yard pot shots, you know, when, when there's better options available or 
uh, or, or the sort of opposite way around. They're not taking a shot when... Uh, yeah, you know what I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, and today in these five game, uh, particularly we, the number of times we cut the ball back and there's nobody there. So right. you would have thought that 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 would have been a set play that would be practiced, you know, at training. Uh, that if that's the position and that's where we get your roles to get there and your roles to stand at the edge of the box, you know. So because uh-huh. what I found. And what I've noticed is that they all tend to run in, you know, where where sometimes there's very nice little clever balls just put to the edge of the box and there's actually nobody there to sweep it home. Aye, aye. It's almost like they're, they're, they're quite often playing passes to where there should be a man, not where there is one. Aye, that's, that, I, I, did, I actually, I, funny enough, again, I said that today, that it does look as if there are set plays and somebody's forgotten where to be. <laughs> aye. Well, Ian Murray spoke about it in his post-match today as being an occasion, uh, and but not something that we should focus on, and that the Stranraer match that follows is going to be much more important. Ian Murray is also a massive heavy, so I don't believe that for a second. I think he will be plotting as much as he can. I think the players will be bang up for it, because it's the biggest game that they'll play in. We've sold over 1,400 tickets and counting, uh, so I think it'll be a great day out. There'll be a great atmosphere in the other end and let's just hope that they come up with a performance that we'll be talking about when we come to play Hearts in the Cup again in 10 years. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. And the only thing I'm thinking of is I'll probably be tucking my scarf in under my, under my, my coat <laughs> when I go back to my car after it. My thought is something slightly different. I'm actually going with one of my Hearts friends who's invited me for a nice little bit of lunch in the brand new stand and I'll be looking out and being very proud of the 1,400 Airdrie fans who'll be singing their, singing their hearts out, if you pardon the pun, and I hope at the end of it we're still singing away and they go home with their tails between their legs and we go home a very happy bunch. Away up in Gorgie at Tynecastle Park, there's a wee football team against whom Airdrie usually make our mark. I thought to find out if we're going to do it this time, I better speak to Jambo. And what a Jambo! Journalist with the Scotsman and Evening News, a podcaster with the Terrace podcast, and for the last year or so, a TV star on A View from the Terrace. Thank you for speaking to me, Joe Sked. No worries. Lovely introduction. Thanks very much. No problem. I mean, you're a busy boy. Uh, you obviously love football and you don't hide your love for hearts. So where did it all begin? How did you get into football and why do you support hearts? As many uh, kids do when they get into football, it's uh, through their dad. And I can't really remember. I can always just remember him watching football in, uh, in the house. But for myself, I'm a bit shady with dates. I can't really remember actually watching too many games. i can got a vague memory of sitting down on the living room floor and watching uh, Gazetta, uh, the, the Italian football show on Saturday or Sunday, and always been kind of been almost in, in like a trance watching it, but just because of the colours yeah. and uh, the commentators, James Richardson, the Fiorentina chest strip, the fans, that kind of stuff. But it was mainly probably actual playing it because... I was lucky in that a lot of mates lived where like really close to me and we had a lot of areas that we could play football in. One mate, his uh, his mum painted uh, goals on a couple of fences and it just like it basically changed her life. And then eventually it got to the point where my bar my garden was big enough and uh, my parents got us, uh, got us a set of goals for the backroom garden. So everyone's like from around my neighbourhood or neighbours uh, neighbourhoods nearby would come round and end up having um, and big big football matches and it was one of those where I was always out playing football 
uh, as a kid so I would have preferred playing uh, than watching whereas now I prefer watching <laughs> rather than playing because I, I, I'm absolutely useless I was going to say where did the playing career take you anywhere? Uh, trials for East Lothian as a goalkeeper and that's about as uh, about as far as far as I got signed for Hutchie uh, Vale their second string team when I was mid-teens and packed in not long after that because I hate And what about Hearts? This is this is actually a big bugbear of mine because a lot of people know when their first game was or the first game they went to see. I've no idea. But it was... All I can remember is I used to love going to go to games with my dad. It was like such a big such a big thing for a weekend of going to Tynecastle. He would usually went at the pub. I would just stand outside, get a, get a sweet, get the, get the pink on the way back to uh, see the scores. But it was... it was, it was It's kind of like the... Again, what a lot of people say... The sights, the sounds, the smells, especially in Gorgie. Yeah. There's it's Gorgie's got a very unique, uh, unique smell, uh, which some fans will, some fans will like, some fans will um, probably make them sick in their mouths. <laughs> but so I also remember going to uh, Dunfermline, Kirkcaldy away game at Rafe. Remember sitting in the old. Gorgie stand to watch Red uh, against Red Star Belgrade like the Euro Knights, but it was all very sporadic. It was almost like my dad just kind of. I think he'd got fed up with Hearts. He was a big Hearts fan, but I think he got fed up. So it was only two or three games a season, and almost it was like I almost had this urge to always want to go back just because I saw Hearts so few yeah. and so few games, and I see his first season ticket wasn't until the o four o five season. So that was a season before Romanov fully came in and had Burley and, uh, and sacked. My mates gave up their season tickets after my first season. I don't know what I did to, to annoy them. <laughs> so the, for a few seasons, I was I was just going uh, going to games on my own, getting, uh, getting the sports bus or any lift I could. And it's, um, it's just not stopped. And who was the heroes growing up when you scored a goal in the garden? Who you celebrating as? Weirdly, probably, probably Luis Enrique. Barcelona Luis Enrique because he wore 21. 21 was my favourite number when I was uh, still as... Uh, but especially when I was younger, and he was twenty one for Barcelona. In terms of Hearts, uh, because there's a goalkeeper, Andy Niemi, and I used to have white hair, just like uh, really blonde hair, like just like him. So he he was he was one of my favourite players. But still not cap for Scotland. Still not cap for Scotland, <laughs> no, unfortunately. The, the TV show, I'm a massive fan. Part of my Friday night ritual when it's on. A bit late, but but uh, yeah, yeah. but a, a great show. Uh, especially lower league fan, you give the lower leagues coverage not in a. Derek Johnson wrestling with an auto cue, which is what I grew up with on football first, but in really high production value pieces. Um, we've had an insight into the air dressing room. We had the, the artistic highlights of the match against our broth last season. Uh, I mean, it's been great as a fan. What's it been like from the inside? I'm not great at articulating myself at the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> as people who watch the show probably know, uh, but especially when people ask me about the show and kind of what it means and stuff, I, I do find it quite hard to articulate just what it's like being involved it probably still hasn't sunk in and in a way at times I probably don't appreciate the fact that I am on a TV show and that the Terrace podcast was adapted for the TV show I still still remember going this is going back two years I still remember being asked by Craig Fowler to come to a meeting with him with Studio Something so they're the production mm-hmm. company and I just got back from a lads holiday in Malta and I honestly just didn't know what to and I was still I was, I was dead pretty much I, I, I was like, yeah, I'll meet you uh, here. And I sat down in the, sh- the, sh- um, the offices. They started talking about a TV show. I was like, what, are we are we in the running for a TV show? I'd completely forgotten. I'd, it just <laughs> went straight over my head. And it's just been, it's been so surreal, but so good to work with. 
every Friday it gets put out and obviously not everyone's going to like it it's not to be everyone's taste and that's that, that that's fine but I, I will sit there and really proud of everything that's gone into it I think we put a lot of work into it I certainly the way I feel uh, at the end of every kind of short burst episodes we do I uh, feel quite tired just because we all have full-time jobs and we're kind of still doing that and because there's other people involved behind the scenes who put in so much work so much effort and you don't want to let them down you feel you have to really push yourself so Mondays uh, so Saturday Sunday Mondays Tuesdays are just basically just thinking about the tv show even if you're Kind of with your missus or you're uh, you're at work or you've got other stuff going out or like Saturday like Saturday after games and go out for a few pints and thinking I really should have too much because I need to kind of have a fresh head for Sunday and Monday and but it's it's worth it because it's good to see that it's been recognised up for awards and it's just it's just fun I do get paid to talk about Scottish football on on TV and people seem to give a damn about what I say which is. Uh, uh, which which is quite something because uh, my mates won't give a f- <laughs> Let's go back to Hearts. It's been a pretty rotten season on a, a football perspective. Bottom of the league. Levine's out in the manager's office but still in the building somewhere. McPhee's working from home. There's not been a new manager bounce yet. The first few games haven't brightened up things much other than it seemed the performance against Aberdeen people were a bit happier with. Why is the football form been so bad? Can you pinpoint anything? This is this is something that's been going on for a long time. There's been uh been a malaise at Tyne Castle for around a year. And when you actually go back a bit further, it's everyone looks back to that spell at the start of last season when we came out of the traps and were, were fantastic. We we're top of the league at the start of November. That was the blip because when you take it back to Levine taking over from Cafro, nothing has really improved since then. The recruitment's still been really shoddy. The um the identity of the club in terms of what they want on the field is has has been missing completely. Like I call it malaise, but it feels like it's it's stronger than that because you everyone saw the the reaction fans gave to Levine. Well, it was after the Motherwell game, there were protests outside the main stand or just songs, kind of anti Levine songs at Tynecastle, which became a regular regular feature of home games. It's that there was a lot of just just a lot of unhappiness, and it just stemmed from the fact that the club were so and active or so slow to deal with Levine that they couldn't see what loads of the majority of fans were seeing that this was a club and team going backwards under Levine Scottish Cup final we got to be a bit Celtic that seemed like the perfect put up a, a, a spirited display perfect time to cut the cord and Budge made her, uh, her mistake now but it's she was too close to Levine that's that's I think she probably recognises it well he had too much power I and mean, this is a guy who was both director of football and manager that should never be allowed to happen you see with the search for the new manager it, it took time because there was once Levine had been relieved of his duties uh, but still working with the club there was no one there to fill that fill that role in terms of his management it's, it's, it's ridiculous in terms of the number of players that are signed so going back to 2014 that was the year that Ann Budge and Craig Lean kind of took over hearts Craig Lean was director of football Robbie Nelson was manager since 2014 there's been 26 different players play left back for hearts as uh, for example Hibs Aberdeen Kilmarnock they've had like seven or eight players fill in that role and I think that's just emblematic of the kind of the churn that's happened to hearts Levine signed so many players and then complained about injuries, signed a lot of injury-prone players, and then he was surprised that they got injured. But then we saw this big enough squad that it should have been doing a lot better. But then this big squad, it was 
lacking balance. It, there were just so many issues, and now you see how Stendhal's come in with a ruthless approach because that's what's had to had to happen. That someone's just had to come in there with a fresh pair of eyes who's not been who's not been part of the process or has not been close to the situation at hearts and just go right. You're not good enough, Christoph Berra. Glenn Whelan, you don't want to be here, go away. John Daly, you've been part of part of the problem. Aidan Keane has, has been let go. And I think Stendhal has maybe realised that it was a bigger, harder job than than, than he imagined. Mm. Or he was told about. So on Stendhal then, I contacted you a couple of weeks ago and I thought, oh, I'll ask him a really cheeky question off if he can keep them up. But the form has been such since then, probably a more realistic question. Are you concerned about relegation and is it a realistic prospect? Yeah, when, when I've when I seen you mention about relegation, uh, I, I never took it as a cheeky question because I, I genuinely, hearts are, hearts are in a relegation battle. That's, there's, there's, there's no doubt about it. Five points are drift at the bottom and a very difficult situation. My, I'm excited about what Stendhal can do uh, for hearts. Ideally, he's a manager you'd like to get in during pre-season or at the start of pre-season because of the coaching style and the playing style he wants to implement that he probably needs a bit of time with his players. So this this uh, this January, this winter break has been ideal ideal for him. But my apprehension is the the fact that he is came into a team and maybe realised it's not it's not as um it's not as plain sailing as it's gonna be. It's been slow on the the January signings. I think he wanted a few more in, especially earlier so he could work with them and integrate them into the squad. He has been allowed to bring in, he's finally bringing in a number two, which is, I think, probably settled him. I think settled Hearts fans who maybe were off my views that he could, he could walk at any time. I don't think that's the case now. But if we beat Ross County in the first league game back, so that's a few days after uh, play Airdrie, if we win that, then I can see us surviving quite easily. I think I can see Hearts understand they're really kind of picking up and kind of finding their gear. Lose at Ross County and... I'd be very, very worried. That's on the pitch, off the pitch. I live and work in Edinburgh with a, a number of jambos. Uh, she doesn't care about football. She doesn't care about fans. Heart off Midlothian. We're in the wrong hands is the protest song. Now, okay, you've got your noisy bit of time cast on section G and N or whatever. But I'm hearing more and more anti-budge statements from people that I wouldn't expect it from. From the outside, I look at it. Without Anne Budge, liquidation was a real stark possibility. The Foundation of Hearts, I think, is an incredible model. It's been successful and it's what most Scottish clubs of a size should be looking at. You romped to the Championship despite Rangers and Hibs being down with you. The momentum behind the club was incredible. You couldn't get a ticket for Ten Castle even if you wanted. Is this football fans being fickle or do you have to almost recalibrate the Anne Budge and Foundation of Hearts project to create some good feeling around it. I'll take Foundation of Hearts first. They are planned to take over the club in, uh, uh, this this summer. Two years ago when Stuart Wallace is the, is the chairman of the Foundation of Hearts was kind of outlining the plans, they said that they wanted to keep and by John to have a bit of cont- uh, continuity. But So they, they would like uh, Budge to stay in. And, well, they did, they did want uh, Budge to stay in, but it's got to the point now where... Hearts of Hearts fans have nearly played. Um, uh, have nearly ploughed in like ten million pounds. Well, everyone respects how massive a role she played in in, in saving Hearts. There's, there's there's no question about that. And like the old term of uh, Queen of Hearts, she has also been a huge player in taking Hearts backwards from having Hearts. Uh, like I said, run the championship into finish third first season back. You think right? That's Hearts kind of back where we belong. It's just been a slow decline since then. She's she's made a lot of wrong decisions. The stadium is over budget by quite a bit. 
I believe there's there's been some speculation around why that is. Uh, I don't want to end it because I don't want to get in trouble from employers. <laughs> there's a, there's a strong anti anti budge feeling. So for example, if Hearts got relegated this season, no one would blame Stendel. No one would blame Stendel if he walked away. No one would be moaning if Stendel was in charge the next season. The blame would f- uh, firmly lie at the door of Anne Budge, Craig Levine, or Craig Levine because of uh, of uh, Anne Budge's inaction. So I do think that. Summer 2020 presents the ideal opportunity for a kind of, again, a partner of ways where Budge can should go should go with a lot of respect for what she's done to this uh, what she's done for this club. It's it's been massive. There's you can't take that away from her. But there's a lot of fans where she's past the point of uh, of of no return in terms of her inaction and her backing for Craig Levine. There's been there's been a bit of animosity between sections certain sections of the crowd. And, and Budge because there's a lot of fans who feel that she has tried to sanitise uh, sanitise the atmosphere at Tyne Castle and I don't know if you've how often you've been to Tyne Castle but there's certainly an, uh, an unruly element you mentioned a couple of sections section G and, and section N who who do want to who want to who want to stand and be a bit more boisterous she, she's really tried to cl- clamp down on that some of some of the kind of clamping down is is needed and it's it's, it's definitely worth her doing but it does seem that she's it's She's tried to make it um, an all-round family atmosphere where Tynecastle, when you talk about Tynecastle, you talk about this almost cauldron, you talk about it being close to the pitch, intimidating, and it's it's, it's like that's been slowly eradicated, and Budge is pretty happy with that when it's it's such a strong essence to Tynecastle. That's that's why I used to love like the old main stand going down, and f- I, my season ticket was that. I never didn't know where my season ticket seat was. Uh, never stood or sat in it because you just you kind of turned up and you had, it had that bit of freedom and that it was almost what I can imagine uh, not what I can imagine but it's almost like a tie to like the shed of old and you don't want to lose that but I think she's happy for that she seems happy for that to be lost there's just been been a lot of like just little decisions that have just really tugged uh, like nagged at Hearts fans standing section for example new stand perfect perfect time to kind of incorporate this kind of uh, kind of thing look kind of look to look to give something to the fans in terms of somewhere for people to to stand and to sing and to be to to be that uh, boisterous element but uh, the club just seemed reluctant to do that they said about the costs despite the cost running up on various other projects so i just i just i just think that it's it's got to the point where it's difficult for Ambudge to win back a lot of the support for uh, a lot of the support she's lost. So even if things improve on the pitch, the match, the experience, what some of your fans are looking for, she's not going to be able to recover that. It's oh, she, I mean, she could recover it, but it would be like it would, she would have Sensation to do a big U-turn. Yeah, yeah. She'd have to. She'd have to come out and and kind of hold her hands up and apologise. And I want to say like apologise and like she's done something really wrong. It's, it's like she, her opinions is not wrong. It's just it's wrong in the the eyes of a lot of, a lot of Hearts fans. It's it's a difficult. The reason I'm kind of stopping the start is it's a difficult one because she's played such a monumental role in Hearts um, not going bust, turning them around and making making them a better kind of business. But then that in itself is a stick to beat her with because she treats Hearts as a business. Fans want her to treat Hearts as a football club that wants to win something, that wants to wants to be successful. Is there a figurehead out there who would be a good chairperson? That's that that that's the issue is that it's I think this is something that the Foundation of Hearts gonna have have to look uh, long and hard at is because they need to appoint someone who has kind of 
her bit kind of business expertise if they if they do decide to part you know, kind of part ways with her once they take the, the club over from her but they also need to get people who are football savvy on the board because I think that was one of the big issues when Levine was kind of relieved of his duties or he was moved into a different role was that Bud shouldn't have anyone else to lean on with football kind of football knowledge mm. so there's perhaps two or three big appointments that the foundation of hearts or the fans themselves will have to make in the summer. Adrianians. What do you know, if anything, of us, given the TV show, I think probably more than most Hearts fans, and what are you expecting come the cup tie? Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> the big thing for me, Vince, uh, some says Airdrie, uh, Airdrionians, I, I think, uh, oh, that's a team who've had more money issues than Hearts. <laughs> for some reason, I always thought of them, I, I can always imagine them, or picture them, I should say, in my sticker album from when I was young, but then I was looking at like the list of Air, uh, Airdrionian seasons, and, like, only twice in the top flight during the early 90s so I might have just been one sticker album and I might have got a shiny or do badge and they're like right okay that's kind of stuck in my mind but aside from that it's there's kind of looking at Air in a, in a grander grander theme is that they are mentioned in kind of muffled tones around Tynecastle and by Hearts fans I think uh, I think for many maybe a generation older than me, Airdrie have provided some painful, painful Hamden, uh, Hamden memories for, for Hearts. And I, I, I can see you smiling there. That you, it's, uh, it's, it's something I think Airdrie fans take great pleasure in as well, which is, which is correct. When the draw came out, it was interesting the reaction on Twitter because you're right, but I kind of think, well, I remember that, but I'm an Airdrie fan, so of course I would. Mm. And looking at the previous fixtures today, it's 1991 since Airdrie beat Hearts. There's not been a lot of games, but you've had 11 attempts at it, so we were definitely a bogey team, especially in the early 90s, especially with a whole load of ex-Hearts players. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, yes, whether or not we can keep that run going, we'll see on Saturday. The, I think the reaction from Hearts fans as well, just when the, the draw got done, just on, on Twitter and seeing replies to it, they they were like this is like probably like almost take away Rangers Celtic uh, Rangers and Celtic like oh, this is the worst draw we could have got. I mean, Airdrie are a team I always expect to be better uh, in a better place than uh, than where they where they are just now. But from this season again, it's it's, it's helped with the TV show and listen to Sean and Craig Telford uh, when they're on the Terrace podcast as well. But looking at the look at the squad, I see a lot of familiar players in terms of Dale Carrick. I can just see him scoring uh, at, at at Tynecastle on on Saturday. Gallagher, Andy Ryan's uh, Andy Ryan's come back. I think he got um, Adam. Cup, he's cup tied for Saturday. So oh, he, he, yeah, yeah, I've had a feeling it might have been uh, Adam Eckersley and Ali Roy as well. They've who haven't been playing, uh, Ali Roy just a little bit out of form and Adam Akers got an injury and then a very young fullback you just can't displace. Uh, but he, he did look very classy when, when the season started. So yeah, there's a few uh, names that you might remember there, especially Carey. I think he's the one that he's, he still works at Hearts. So yeah, it's, uh, it's if, he could, if he could score at the weekend, yeah. he'd really have the bragging rights when he walks into Orium on the, the Monday. He is still, he's very well remembered. Uh, or he's... he's, he's Fondly remembered, should say, by Hearts fans because he scored. He scored at least one against Hibs, and you you've most seen, probably seen the gif or the picture of him uh, making of making that kind of. I was going to say uh, orgasmic face, satisfied <laughs> face. That satisfied face. Um, that says more about you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he, he um he, he's someone I think Hearts fans a lot of respect for just because of the work he put in. And uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm I'm doing hospitality on on Saturday, just a cheap one, uh, not a free ca- uh, free bar, unfortunately. But I'm looking forward to seeing the Airdrie just because of the position they are in in League One. The the fact that I think there was a lot of disgruntlement with Ian Murray at the start of the season, 
and just see how these how, kind of how they've turned it uh, turned it around and how they how they play. And we've got a really weird coaching team from a, a an Edinburgh perspective. Yes. So what we're going to do, uh, Ian Murray, I imagine. I don't know if he's getting a new haircut for the game, but he might not be fondly welcomed. But if he's alongside Colin Cameron, will that buy him some some goodwill, or should we bring them out separately like wrestlers and you can all boom? No, I think I generally so Scott Wilson, the the Tannoy announcer, he any any time someone uh, a former Hibs player is playing for the opposition, he'll read the Hibs the, the name out and so so not for example just say. Just say it's Gallagher. You'll read the name out just normal and go straight on to the next name. If he reads an ex-Hips player's name out, he'll, he'll pause to allow Hearts fans to boo. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a big deal of Andy, uh, sorry, Ian Murray being, uh, being manager. And he certainly will get a lot of stick. I would advise him um, to keep Colin Cameron close at all times. I'm sure <laughs> uh, Colin, uh, Colin Cameron would be a very, very warm protect, uh, protector. And then to finish it, is there any hope for Airdrie that Hearts may actually... Jettison the cup this year and just focus on league form, or do you think it'll be the strongest team out? Strongest, absolutely strongest team out. I, I'm afraid I don't think we'll play in our, our second string. I mean, first string, you'll still have a good chance. I, I just think mainly because Stendhal is so keen to probably integrate John Suter, Connor Washington, and Stephen Naismith. They've all came back to come back to first team training. He wants to get them in as quick as possible and get them up to speed in, how, in terms of how he wants to play. He want this work that he's done on the training ground over the last few weeks with the winter break and he wanted to try that out. It's almost like Airdrie's a perfect, I don't want to call it a warm-up game because it's, it's much, much bigger than that, but a perfect warm-up game for getting into the Crucial League game. So I don't think it's going to be one where Hearts will be um, one eye on the league. I think they'll be they'll be focused to go. Saying that, I would imagine Airdrie and the players, Murray, will be raring to go and I think they will see a chance of an upset. Yeah, It's a big ask. Ian Murray's made noises about we need to focus on the league and this is a great occasion and they should enjoy it. But I can't imagine that if you're a League One player and you get a chance to go to Tencastle, you won't be absolutely up for it. So it's a, a very big ask. I think we lost two goals to East Fife away on Saturday. So to think that we're going to go to Tencastle and be able to defend better than that, I don't know. But the winter break's a strange thing. Played Celtic at this stage last year and they did look a bit rusty. So we've just got to hope that, that you're a bit off it. If your defence needs if your defence needs any confidence, then Hearts <laughs> are the perfect perfect team to play against. For example, Ross County they have generally one of the worst defences I've seen this uh, in the Premiership in a few years. They've conceded forty two goals this season. Hearts failed to score against them. Livingston have scored four against them twice. Uh, so that, that that shows you how powder puff the Hearts attack can be at times. Right, we've had the view from the Airdrie fans, we've had the view from the Hearts fans, uh, but now we've got someone who almost uniquely has got a big foot in, in both camps. From an Airdrie perspective, he was with us for 10 years when the fans came to select their greatest all-time 11 and were looking for a central defender. He won by a landslide victory. I'm delighted to be speaking on the podcast to Jimmy Sanderson. Jimmy, welcome. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. What are you up to these days? I mean, I, I understand you're involved with, with Hearts, is that right? Yes, just because geography, I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm Five minutes down the road for Tynecastle. It was my first club that I got involved in. And when things, you know, when I kind of retired, they asked me to come back to do a wee bit of hospitality. I was in, I was in the area, quite happy to do it. And that's kind of spun off to doing a bit of the broadcast, the, you know, the the, the game situation. Um, and I, I analysed the, the the first team on a on a match day. Quite happy to do that. And I, and I actually 
God, I actually thoroughly enjoy it. It's, it's nice. It's, it's something that, as any ex-professional tell you, that they, they quite enjoy talking about football. They have their opinions. Um, you know, I try and paint a picture to people who are listening to football, maybe abroad somewhere, and I hope I do it to a, a decent level. And I, I, you know, try and show a bit of passion involved in that. And and and, and I really do enjoy it, Colin. It's, it's a lovely thing to do. You know, in this, this this later stage of my life, and it's through what Hearts TV you do co-commentary on on the home matches. Yep, 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 and it's great. It's myself and uh, Laurie Dunsire, who's who I think is magnificent. I've always said to Laurie on a number of keys, and I think you, you could be easily on Sky Sports the stuff we're watching on, on a weekly basis. He is magnificent, but it's, it's good. It's a, a combination. But I've always said to Laurie, I mean, I, I'm no the I'm no the stats man. I'm not going to tell you what happened. You know, you know, six months ago, or, or or that game, or this game. I just like to tell you what happened, what you, what I'm actually watching, what I'm actually seeing. Maybe related to a wee bit of my experiences, and just try and paint a picture uh, of the football that I'm watching. And I hope I make it as honest as I can. And and I love it, Colin. I absolutely love it. So, what do you think it's going to be like for you on Saturday? Then you've got two of your your, your two main ex teams. Yeah. Is it going to be a strange experience? Well, it is. It's it's it's, it's strange because. You know, 21 years of football, professional football, 18 of them at, you know, Hearts and Airdrie. Love both clubs with all my heart, no question about it. Actually torn, and, and I'm probably going to be the only person in the stadium who is in a win-win situation. Um, if Hearts win, I'll be delighted. If Airdrie win, I'll be absolutely delighted. It's, 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 it's wonderful. I hope both teams play some super football. I, I, I want to commentate. I'm always an honest guy when I, when, I, when I watch football. I just like to see two teams having a right go at each other and the best team on the day coming out, the winners. Whoever it is, I, I don't care if it's Rangers versus Arbroath or Hearts versus... It, it's, it's, it doesn't concern me. I just want to see good football and two passionate teams. And I hope I see that on, on Saturday when, when, when both teams play. What side of the fence am I going to sit on will be the question you're probably going to ask me. I, I, you know, I've had great experience at Hearts. Hearts taught me so much in my football brain because I was a 17-year-old coming through the door playing professional football well at McDonald's, Sandy Jardin, that type. Eventually, you know, eight years later, you know, we decided to part company. Who's the first guy on the phone? Alec McDonald. Want to take me to Airdrie. I go there. My career at that stage, most people were thinking, you're leaving Hearts to go to Airdrie. You're probably on the way down. Bit of a slippery slope. I actually know now that my career went up the way because in the, those 10 years, we had two Scottish Cup finals. We took the club to Europe. We were a generally successful team. So I can only look back on it with great fondness. And to try and split the two teams, I, I kind of struggle a wee bit, to be honest with you. I, I love both of them. So I, I'm, on the, I'm on the fence. And I, I, I've told people that. And whoever wins um, after the encounter, I will be happy. Oh, you can't lose, Jimmy. Put it, look at it that way. You've actually answered the question. I was going to ask back to 1991. <laughs> uh, how, how did the, the, the path from one club to the other come about? So you, you've answered that. I mean, in terms of 1991, you join an Airdrie team that had instant success. And for me, looking back at it, Doddy seemed to be able to blend what was there already in terms of Nipper, Owen Coyle, Paul Jack, Sandy Stewart, with so the best of what was there already with then yourself and other new signings. Um, the team had a great first season, finished I think seventh in the uh, the top flight. I, I, we've not got near that since. Uh, you became known as the the Beastie Boys, uh, partly down to style of play. Some people would say disciplinary record or whatever. But I mean, what was that like from the inside? Well, the, the strange thing about it is we we, we spoke about. It. I, I still see what he kid on a on a, a regular basis. I still see Gary McKay and and guys that, that were at the club. 
you know, in a later part of that. But when we when we sit down and talk about and have a have a few drinks, I mean, th- th- there was there was a couple of guys in that team who were you talk about the Beastie Boys scenario of of being you know, an aggressive football team and really quite dirty. There was two guys in that team who I would say yes could maybe put their foot over the top of a ball and maybe hurt the opposition. The rest of us couldn't fight a fish supper. Really, honestly, we weren't that we weren't that physical. And what the, the, the premises of the whole thing was is the manager installed us from day one, and I knew this from my heart's days with Alan McDonald. The manager quite simply sat us down and said to us, this is the basis of football. If you let a really good footballer on the opposite side of, of, of the divide, if you give him time and space to play football, he will probably give you a hard time. So what you, you have to realise is you, you need to stop that player playing. Simple as that. And that's all we did. That's the premises of how Airdrie were very good. We were a combination of being extremely fit and understanding that don't let good players play. Stop them playing. And if they if, if they then come out the other side of that and you get beat by a, a better team, then that's fine. We'll put our hands up, we'll walk away, and that's fine. But majority of the times that we played decent teams, we just denied them the time and space to play. We were as fit as they were, probably fitter, and that then frustrated the opposition. It frustrated the opposition supporters. And we got great success with that. Combine that with, we had people who, at the top end of the park, the own Coils, the Andy Smiths, maybe the Pete Davenports, people that could score goals, nippers, people could score goals in their team, which was like any team that's going to do have a, a, a successful period, you have to score goals. We had that, we had that about us too. But I think the, the biggest basis of that aid routine that I was involved with, the Kenny Blacks, you know, these people, the Jimmy Boyles, the, the, you know, Evan Balfour's, and you can never you know, talk about big Johnny Martin and goals. We had a basis of understanding what we were good at and what we weren't good at. And if you get halfway along that road, you've got a wee chance. And I think that the, the manager's philosophy got to us all and we knew when we could we could be successful and maybe not successful. And you were captain throughout that time, Jimmy. I mean, that squad of boys, a, bit, a lot of big personalities in there. Were they, were they easy to captain or did they keep you they, on your toes? I Listen, I, I know. I mean, when I first walked through the door, the manager gave me the captaincy uh, and I was, I was honoured, privileged and honoured. No question about it. And the strange thing about that, before that column, was, was when he had me, Airdrie, uh, had me sorry, at Harps for, for the eight years, I kind of struggled to get the first team, understandably. I had people like Alan McLaren, Dave McPherson, Craig Levine, all cap for the country, playing in a, in, a, in a back three. I was again the fourth one out that back three. So when one of these guys was suspended or injured, I kind of came in. And, you know, I, I always felt I did okay, but I, understand, I understood I was never going to be a regular there. And when the opportunity came along to go back to the manager, in a sense, I found it quite strange because my, my, one of my questions was to him, Gaffer, you had me for eight years at, at Hearts, but you never kind of played me as much. Well, listen, that was because of these reasons. You're going to come here. I want you to make, you know, you're going to be my captain and, you know, you will probably play more games than you think because, you know, like football is, it's, it's, it's a bit unpredictable at times, but yeah, if things go well for you, you will be playing every week. And I did, and he was honest in his word, and I respect him for that. When I still meet him now, when I go to Ibrox, maybe doing a wee bit of comedy for Hearts, and he's there, I still call him the gaffer. I still have a lot of respect for him. He was huge in my, my career, and, I, and, and I've no doubt he was huge in a number of people's careers. But it, it, it's huge in that sense where you know managers are 
are people that you have to buy into. You look at a lot of clubs at the moment who you feel now the player power's getting too much for them and the managers are maybe slightly second. I, I'm a great believer that manager has to be in charge of every dressing room and every club. And, and I can't speak too highly enough of, of Alan McDonald. Uh, what do you think his magic was, Jimmy? Can, can you boil it down? I mean, his record at Hearts was excellent. I mean, he's, he's the heartbreak of the, the season where they could have done the double and falter. But, but still, to get yep. so close, given where they were when he, he took over, he joins an unfashionable air tree, gets air tree to two cup finals. I I mean, know. It's an incredible record. What, what was he so good at? I can only say I, I, it's difficult to pin it down. And, and if we could pin it down, then... You know, there'd be managers, new managers out there trying to try, um, buy into it. His honesty, his honesty, his respect, what you knew he was as a player. I've read his book a number of occasions, spoke to him about it. I mean, he was, a, he, was a, 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 he was a player who wore his heart on his sleeve, in a sense. He, he, he wanted to be the best he could. He drove other players similar to him. I mean, he had a wonderful career. I mean, you know, he went to St Johnston, played for obviously Rangers, came to Hearts his career finishes and then he just drives people on from his experiences from um, what he's done and and he was exactly the same as a player as he was a manager he was just driven driven he, he just wanted the best from you and, and he wouldn't accept once he knew what you could do from minimum to maximum he would not accept anything less you knew you were good at you knew you weren't good at he wouldn't ask you to do anything you could not do but if you knew you could do it he wanted that more times often than not, and I and I get that hundred percent. And he was just driven that way. But apart from that, he was just a he was just an honest, nice guy. He, he spoke to you as if he, he respected you. He, he he wanted to hear your conversation. He would listen to you, and he just he, one of these type of managers. I didn't have an awful lot of managers in my football career, but he was one that I thought, well, it was that honest that I would I would run through a brick wall for him because I knew that he would he would back me. Whatever I did wrong, he would back me up because he knew I was trying to do the best for him and for myself and for the club. He would back you up and he was a, he was just a great a great manager and a great guy. And your Airdrie team, the great success was definitely in the Cups. Two Scottish Cup yes. finals, countless League Cup semis, the, the B&Q Cup, which people might scoff at, but that was an epic final against Dundee and, and a really happy memory of mine as a fan. What was it about Airdrie you think that made them especially good in, in the Cups? I asked Lumber the question and he said bonuses, but well, I think there must be a bit more to it than that. <laughs> Aye, well, it's strange because you're right. I mean, when you get the sheet at the start of the season, you know, you look at it and you see what you, you, you've got to go. You know, you're going to get something in the, the Scottish Cup, something in the league, something in there. You think, okay, that might that looks a, a particularly attractive route to go down. Now that's either said and done. I just wonder why. I look back at it now, many years after it all happened. I just wonder why we we chose. We didn't do it purposely. Trust me. Why we chose to keep our best performances for cup situations. Why did we not just stick it into a, a, a good league season and get ourselves promoted, get back in the, the top flight and, and, and you know, stabilise ourselves in the Premier League? That's where I first joined them. I, I just wonder why we... And I, I actually don't have the answer for that. However, cup competitions just brought the best out of us. And I don't know why. I, I, and if you ask any of my colleagues, you know, I don't know if they'll... Nobody has the answer. I'm not too sure Alan McDonald has the answer. We just found the best of us in these competitions. And... And we grew from that. The BNQ Cup was, was obviously the, the, the pinnacle. The two Scottish Cup runs were just unbelievable. And we just felt on a one-off situation that with the, the fitness, the, the education we had, the drive, the bit of pace at the top end, the organisation at the back, and things like that, we could actually take anybody on. On a day, if the top teams that we played against were just off maybe a 10, 
90% of their best game. If we were at our maximum, we could actually achieve something. And we just believed we could in a one-off situation. And the majority of times we did. And it was, it, was, it was surreal at times. And it's only when you look back at it now, many years up, as I said earlier, I speak to what I could on a number of occasions. And, and we sit back and we think, taking this club to European competitions for the first time in their career and their, their history, you know, so close to winning the Scottish Cup, so close on a couple of occasions, you think, my goodness me, if you could have put that in a wee bottle, you could sell it for millions of pounds. And City Pool, we're 25 years on from 1995, and I think the club um, are likely to be in touch because we're speaking to the director of football and they're keen to do something to, to mark that this time because they didn't do for the uh, 92 final. But, but let's look, quarter-final, you're playing a Wraith Rovers team which has won this Coca-Cola Cup against Celtic in a penalty shootout in dramatic fashion. They're above Airdrie in the league. You go up there, away from home in a quarter-final, and you put in that performance to win 4-1 I think probably my favourite game ever I mean did Doherty do anything different in, in a game or as you say is it just you just clicked on that day and, and they couldn't live with you no I mean if I sit down now and I see you was there, was there any game if you ask me was there any game that was different from another game no there wasn't there were slight adjustments of tactics or, or the manager would say listen we need to keep an eye on him or that situation or they're very good at corners this situation so you've obviously got your, your education know, what's, know what the opposition is very good at but in terms of, of us, no, we, we, we were a 3-5-2. It was as simple as that. We very, really changed formation. We, guys would come in. If, if somebody was suspended or injured, somebody else would come in in that situation. Very little change. I remember that game vividly. You're absolutely right. And I thought on that day, in my opinion, Paul Harvey in the, in the 10, just in that kind of, that feel by the, the two strikers, I thought he was absolutely unbelievable that day and we needed guys like that to have really good games on specific days and he picked that day to be just breathtaking you combine that with a good organisation a good defence the big goalkeeper at the back of us keeping things out nice and you know all, the, all these things add to a good performance but I think we need to be on a day have one or two guys in that team that just go above the 9 out of 10 and I think Harv on that day was just breathtaking and I, and I, and I, I speak of this on a number of occasions he was probably my best 10 ever in, in an Airdrie team. The lobbed finish to crown it off that day was uh, yeah, sublime, so what a performance. Uh, like, but my reckoning, you remained unbeaten against Hearts when you were throughout your time at Airdrie. There wasn't just you as an ex-Jambo, there was Zico Kid, you've already mentioned, Sandy Stewart, Kenny Black. To a lesser extent, Marvin Wilson and Tony Smith had, had both been through the Hearts Academy or, or equivalent at that time. What was it like going back to your old club? I mean, I'm thinking on occasion you must have been putting in that pokey wee away changing room in the the old Tyne Castle main stand. Was it odd for you guys to all go back and, and face hearts? Did you feel you had something to prove? Uh, did, did that drive on those that unbeaten run against them? Well, I, I never never felt I had anything to prove, certainly myself, and I, I know that the other guys never needed to, to prove themselves to any you know ex-team that they played against, but it was nice to know that you're kind of going back to the club that, that maybe taught you lots of things. Certainly for me, taught me an awful lot of things. The manager obviously wanted to, how can I put this, just show them that he was a very good manager. And I always talk about the manager very highly. You've, you've probably listened to that through this, this conversation. He was, he was a type of guy that, you know, the hearts is a big job and he was very good at what he did there. I always think if you look at managers, I'd like to take a Mourinho out of Spurs at the moment and put him at maybe, let's say, Arbroath and see how good managers are with slightly lesser players in a sense. Can, can he make a difference? When the manager went to Airdrie, and then he got us coming along, guys that were maybe no commanding positions in other first teams, 
How good was he? How good could he be? Could he, could he galvanise us? Could he make us better? Yes, he did. And I always think about that situation. So when we go back to Hearts at Tynecastle, there's a wee bit of thinking, listen, it'd be nice to, to show them how we actually know as maybe poor as what they thought. And we did. The, the strange thing about me being an, uh, an Edinburgh boy is going back to Tynecastle and Easter Road, we did exceptionally well. So I was always saying to the guys from you know, the West Coast, do me a favour, guys. Let's put my best effort in here at Easter Road, my best effort in here at Tynecastle because I've got to walk up the streets here. You know what I mean? And they never let me do We did. We had a huge respect coming back to Edinburgh as an Edinburgh team. Most sets of supporters didn't like us coming here, knew we were going to get a really tough game, and we did exceptionally well. So, yes, I've got a, a, a tremendous record at both clubs, but more, more, more so with Tynecastle. But it was nice just to go back and say, listen, we weren't in that pool. I know we kind of left the club. We weren't maybe in your first team all the time. But we came back, we did right. And I, I, I like to think that most supporters will think, these guys were actually all right. One of the things I'm most looking forward to on Saturday is just seeing Tynecastle. I've not been there for, well, I've not been there since 1991, but we'll not talk about that just now because we're trying to we're trying to stay happy. <laughs> uh, but it's got this reputation as being an atmospheric ground. And despite having been completely refurbished in its own new stands, yeah. it, it still yeah. maintains that reputation. We've lost that at Airdrie. What, what was old Broomfield like as a player? Broomfield was, was intimidating from the opposition. And I, I knew that when I went there. We played a Scottish captain. I was a Hearts player. We went there and we actually got beat from Airdrie, which as soon as I went to Airdrie, they, they, they didn't miss me by telling me that every <laughs> every single week. But it, it was it was difficult. Now, it's a game of football. It's on a rectangular pitch. Why should it be different than anyone else? Broomfield was so intimidating. It, it wasn't good. Unless you were, you were an Airdrie player, you understood what Broomfield was. When you came as an opposition player, you thought, what is this? What? Where am I? Is this, is this halfway to hell? What is this? So right away when you came through the door at Broomfield as an opposition player, you weren't happy. So that was intimidating itself. And I, and I have no doubt most of the Airdrie's good results there were because of that. The dressing room, the, the away dressing room was horrible. The park wasn't the best. The surround, it, was all, it was all intimidation. And I kind of missed Broomfield the recent. When we went to the Shrybury on the outskirts of the, the city, um, it was a lovely facility. You, you kind of lost the, the home-based support who would, you know, take his wife into the shop and then, you know, once she, she's got to the shop and he'd go and watch the football, come back out and then meet up again. You kind of missed that that sense of it because people are having to travel. And once you've got to travel to, to a, you know, your home game, you kind of, you know, the, the crowd started to dwindle and every then we didn't have the home-based support. I kind of missed that Broomfield scenario right in the city centre of Airdrie where it benefited us. But, um, that's kind of football, wasn't it? I mean, it's just the game's moved on. You needed to, the criteria of those days were to, to get a, a seated stadium that needed to fit the, the criteria of what was happening. And I kind of missed that kind of centre of the town stadium. No, I think we'd all agree with you, Jimmy. One thing to finish, I mean, you've spoken a few times, you just said their football's moved on. What's in my mind is you've talked up Airdrie's high intensity, fitness, playing that pressing game, getting after the opposition, which when you think about the direction football's going in the last few years, feels like it's kind of the same way. Everybody's talking about the high press, making sure that the fitness levels are there. I mean, you guys wouldn't have had the nutritionists or the, the heart monitors on when you were training or whatever, but how do you think you would have pitted against modern teams? Do you think that that Airdrie team would have held their own? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think I think fitness doesn't go away. Whatever, you, whatever system you look at, Whatever kind of regime you're looking at, heart monitors, all these things. I mean, I, I buy into that. I get all that, and it's a it's a it's a system where you now you cannot kind of hide, you cannot hide in training, you cannot hide on the park because 
the system will pick up with your lows, your highs, and I get all that side of it. The fitness level, I, I think, never goes away. And I look at I look at a number of teams, and I still look at players, and I think I can tell within three or four weeks you watched that person regularly, that guy's no fit, and you then start to ask questions pre-season. What was the pre-season like at this club? What levels were they doing? What they do? Nowadays they, they they actually work with the ball all the time, and and that makes a bit of sense, obviously, because it's a it's, it's a ball orientated sport. But pre-season is a huge thing. Fitness is a huge thing. These never go away. And you have to have a huge pre-season or a big pre-season, a strong pre-season that takes you right through the season. The ball comes into it eventually and then you start your structure. And you talk about pre-season and all these kind of things. These are massive, massive things. And, and I, just, I just hope that I mean, you can look at the two teams at the moment where Hearts are going through a kind of a, a differential uh, stage. Things are changing, new manager, blah, blah, blah. They're now trying to get into this high-pressing tempo game. A high-pressing tempo game, Colin, comes within yourself as a, as a player and a good player, but you have to have a level of fitness to do that. You can't shut full backs, dude, unless you've got the legs and the energy to do that. If you've not got that, then you're going to be under pressure. So these things you know, apply at hearts at the moment, but again, you go back to that fitness thing. Adrian had, in those 10 years, no question about it, and other people will tell you that, we had a huge level of fitness. There wasn't any team in that league there was any fitter than us. There might have been teams in that league that were maybe technically better, maybe a bit pacier in certain areas, but there was no team in that league that was any fitter than us. That's back to Alan McDonald, his time at the Gullin, Sands, the fitness levels were huge. Those don't change for me. I watch football on a regular basis now, and teams have to be fit. If you're not fit, you will get found out. Technically, different, but fitness is huge. And look at the best team at the moment in the land, Liverpool, a 4-3-3 they play, three centre forwards, if you want to call it, three top-end strikers, they all work. There's not, a, there's not a player in that red Liverpool team that does not work his socks off. And teams that I've played in, there'll be a couple of guys who, as soon as they lost the ball, wouldn't really chase it back, wouldn't want, want to go and get it back. That's fine. But see now, you get found out. Your level of fitness has to be absolutely massive. So fitness for me is a huge thing. Jimmy, that's been excellent. You were one of my heroes growing up and it's been a pleasure to speak to you. I've said I'd love to do something in a bit more depth just to go through your, your time at Airdrie and if we can get that in the diary, again, it'd be a, be a pleasure to do. But I hope you enjoy, well, you're going to enjoy Saturday anyway because you can't lose. Uh, Absolutely. I hope I do too. <laughs> but but thank you very much for your time. It's been a, a pleasure and uh, I hope to see you at around for some sort of 1995 celebration but it'd be great to speak to you again no problem Colin thanks for your time pal take care thank you for listening to the OTL podcast a massive thanks to my participants Brian Smith Alan Porteous Joel Sked and Jimmy Sanderson thank you to Scott Crawford for our intro music and to Robert DL for allowing me to use the photo of Jimmy Sanderson subscribe for us wherever you find your podcasts follow us on Twitter and Facebook but most importantly get yourself to Tynecastle Castle.